Now on Food FM, it's a new series with Arthur Potts Dawson, The Coffee Table. First of all, a word from our sponsors. Founded in 1927 by Giuseppe and Bruno Bambi, La Mazzocco had its beginnings in Florence, Italy, birthplace of the Italian Renaissance. It seems only fitting that La Mazzocco would earn a world-renowned reputation for making beautiful, high-quality, superbly crafted and uniquely designed espresso machines with great attention to detail. Even today, highly specialised personnel supervise each stage in the production of every single machine, handcrafted to order for each and every client, from the kitchen counter to the speciality coffee bar. The Coffee Table, on Food FM with La Mazzocco. To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com. Hi, my name's Arthur Potts Dawson, and this is Food FM. Welcome to The Coffee Table. I'm very excited to introduce you to a new strand on Food FM. I'm being joined by Marco Arrigo. Hi, Marco. Thank you so much for joining me on The Coffee Table. Um, we've also got a special guest today, Jonathan Morris, who is a historian um, of many things, but also coffee. So we're very, very lucky. So, so welcome to The Coffee Table. Marco, say a quick word to the listeners about who you are and what you do. Hi, Arthur. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you here today. I've been um, selling unique for 28 years in London and uh, currently head of quality and um, I've got a little bar in Soho called Bar Termini that we, we make really beautiful coffee from the 50s and uh, it's a very um, it's very themed and it's 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 very much about what we're doing today about the history of coffee and, and to be able to go back in time and taste it as it was. Am I, am I, allowed, am I allowed to call you Mr Coffee because I've known you for over 30 years Marco and all I've ever known you for is coffee. Now there's a guy not in, in London Bridge called Mr. Coffee that'll oh. sue me. <laughs> <laughs> now Jonathan, you're, you've written a book called Coffee, A Global History. You've also recorded some podcasts called A History of Coffee. Uh, so Jonathan Morris, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Sure, my name's Jonathan Morris. I'm Professor of History at the University of Hertfordshire. And for the last 15 years or so, I've been specialising in the history of coffee. So I call myself the coffee historian. And as you said, I've written Coffee, A Global History and just released a set of podcasts called A History of Coffee that you can find on the Filter Stories podcast channel. Fantastic. Well, Marco, when we thought about making the coffee table, the idea was that if we're going to talk about coffee, we've got to know where it's from. We've got to know how it grows and and where does it even come from? So why don't we start at the beginning? Why don't you tell me, you know, from a historical perspective, who found coffee? Where does it come from? How old is it? How long have humans been consuming it? Um, and how far does it go back? Is it thousands of years? I think it's so complex. It's a, it's a lot more complex than that because it's not just something that we discovered. Um, this thing uh, exploded all around the world in different parts at different times. And, and, and you'll see as we go through the history how in one part of the country it got very advanced and then somewhere else it was just being planted. And so it's, a, it's just about following it around the world as it spread. Um, and that's what we kind of found interesting is how it spread and very much like other things that were going on at the time like spices and things how it was guarded and how it was stolen and how it was uh, you know uh, smuggled and and all these things and that's what makes quite a nice story and there's also a dark side to it too and and there's also you know the the the, the commercial side that we'll we'll finish up on the dark side of coffee so uh jonathan where did coffee start i mean that's probably a very basic question but but where did it start where did it first grow where was it first found 
Okay, so I mean, coffee, as we know, it grows wild really in Ethiopia and a little bit around the edge of that in the sort of the Great Rift Valley area, the Great Lakes area. So that's where it's found naturally. It's an un, what they call an understory plant. So if we think about the cloud forests of Ethiopia, you're walking through the forest, you've got the big trees on top, you've got underneath those trees, you've got shrubs, little bushes growing. Those are like the coffee things. And the way that we start, we think really, we start with coffee, is people foraging the coffee plant in the wild and using it to make various things. So what they would have eaten, the berry, because there's a few factors to it, isn't it? In the West, or certainly from my perspective as a chef, I only ever see the coffee bean. I've never even really seen it green until Marco introduced me to the green bean. But there is a a flesh and a skin to coffee, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. So coffee is uh, a kind of flowers and then it produces uh, what we call a coffee cherry. And that cherry is that red berry. Uh, as it gets bright red, that's the point at which you harvest it. It's got skin on it. It's got, you know, pith. It, it is just like a cherry. And at the heart of it is obviously the stone. And that's the bit that you're now used to as seen as the bean. Thousands of years, Marco, how long has coffee been harvested or eaten or used by man? I, su- I suppose, I mean, I've got, we've got dates that start around 1000, we think things went on there before. But the, the, remember, coffee started as a food, it was never a drink when it first started. It, it, it started off as people would, would boil the beans. We, we actually boiled some Ethiopian beans this morning and we have it in front of us. And, and these, the, the first couple of things I wanted to sort of taste today was, was the three or four different ways that they were ingesting the coffee back then. Mm. Um, I was going to get a peanut and put grape skin around it and let you sort of taste what a coffee bean probably tastes like because we can't reproduce that here. But we boiled off some, some, and this is one of the first ways, uh, one of the first ways that they were, they were drink, eating coffee was literally to eat the bean. They would boil the bean and they would eat the beans. This <laughs> is fantastic. And, you know, if, if you knew where we were at the moment, we have just had a, a, a Breton cider bottle explode. And I think that's probably some of your ginger beer in there, isn't it, Marco? Yeah, it's a bit lively. <laughs> this is like, I, I wish I could paint the, uh, the picture for you properly, but this is a sort of Willy Wonka's coffee chocolate factory right so we have got bottles of fizzing oozing ginger ale we've got frozen coffee we've got green coffee we've got irons i can see red welders gloves and and a a fantastic 1950s coffee machine in front of me so you know anytime you hear something go pop or fizz or crackle it's because there's something crazy going on in marco's workshop so marco sorry what just exploded so we know what exploded Sorry, that was my ginger bug. Ginger bug, right, okay, thank you. Right, so we've got a ginger bug uh, going on with our, with our coffee story. So, uh, Marco, you were saying that um, now, now green coffee, the bean, yeah. was boiled yes. and consumed in some way. And what, they would have boiled it in a pot and then just drank the liquid? So this or? was the first way. There were several words for this. And I, I was yeah. excited to get Dr. Jonathan here today so we could go through three or four of them. There was the first evidence of this Oromo tribe and they were boiling the leaves and, and boiling the actual fruit and eating it. And we found that first it was really looked at as a food. They were even wrapping it in belly fat and taking it with them like a little protein bar in their pocket mm. on, a, on a long voyage. I think some, the slaves took it across the Red Sea to, to Mocha, the port of Mocha that way. And uh, we, uh, what I got here is we boiled some Ethiopian beans to get this caffeine juice out of them. And this mm. would be one of the first ways. And I, I, I try and try and taste it. I wanted you to taste lots so of I've things. Got a sort of, not a, a sort of light. Very, very light, greeny, yellow liquid. I mean, it's basically almost like a, a tea or an infusion. It smells, it smells mm. almost creamy. There's a cream to it, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's it's a little bit of straw. Yeah, and it tastes like wet Labrador. It almost tastes like the water that you boil 
dried grass in to cook pasta in for your white truffle pasta in Piedmonte. That's like a, mm. it's like a, it's hay, mm. yellow grass. It's the and bag, it's the it, coffee it's, bag. It's not particularly palatable, no. but it's interesting. If you'd found this and you'd drank this and it gave you a little kick and a buzz and, you, you know, you there's, there's a, a, an obvious thing that will happen from coffee. I mean, yeah. it's, you didn't need to have a lot of coffee to get a kick from it. They would have they, they would have found this as quite a powerful drug, I would say, in their time. Yeah, if I could um, say, I mean, this this is like tea, it really mm. isn't it? And I think that's the point that a lot of the uh, the tribes at the time they would drink various forms of tea, so little plant uh, deco- how do you say that word decoctions. I never know how to say concoctions. It. Concoctions would or do. Oh, teach it, teach it. De- 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 okay. a decoction. Thank you. Yeah. A decoction. Yeah. So um, they would drink it more as tea. So you would either do it like with the leaves, you know, so kuti is sort of coffee leaves, or you could use as you have the, the seeds here. Abuna. Which is called a, a buna, yeah, mm, where you yeah. use, and they would use kind of almost the whole plant that way. And uh, as you said, you'd also, uh, what they did for, particularly if they were going uh, like on expeditions, mm. so if they were going hunting or if they're going to war or whatever, you create these kind of energy boosters, mm. and that's where I think you'd really get the caffeine kick because what you want is the psychoactive element of it to keep people going. So it's an energy bar type, mm. so mm. like ta- like carrying one of those energy yeah. bars today, you know. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, I agree with um, Arthur that this is this is it's grassy, isn't it? Mm. And, uh, and that's kind of what you'd expect. It's a natural mm. product. We foraged yeah. it naturally. That's you know, we're not doing any of the roasting or anything like that. We're just taking it straight from the plant, mm. and there we go. And it's interesting because the the green of the coffee bean has leached out, hasn't it? And it's almost white now. The bean inside the liquid, and yeah. does it look a little bit like barley, beer. or does the it look like beer? We just looks had. like oats. So it does look like the same colour as your ginger beer, but mm. um, almost like an oat from the front mm. there. Um, interesting. So, so now that we boiled it, they ate it, they marched on it. Mm. Uh, Ethiopia at the time was hugely. Um, rich in culture and um, had a very strong identity. You say that it moved across to Mocha, which is in the Yemen, and that was an area where coffee was developed. We'll talk about that a bit, uh, a bit later in the series. But So coffee was inherited East, East Africa. Africa, because I've there, there's some plants in West Africa that have been sort of looked at now as some of the historical early forms of coffee. Is that right? Yeah, so I mean, we need to remember there's 120 plus species of coffee. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this coffee that we're drinking and uh is uh coffee arabica 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 coffee and that's the one that's become the commercial reference point uh but we had all these other types of coffee and they have been used for different things some are very palatable some are not what's happened recently so some of those west african more west african coffees we've been looking at them again and we've discovered actually they can be quite palatable and that's important because, as we know, in these current times of climate change, etc., something that's maybe got a bit of resistance to, to climate, as it would in West Africa. West Africa is generally lower and uh, hotter. So if this can go there, and we're talking about coffee as stemophilia in this case, then maybe this is what we can use to help out with Arabica as Arabica becomes more <coughs> difficult to grow in changing climate conditions. And it's interesting because sometimes you talk about culture and you know, you've got India, 
you've got China, you've got South America, and Africa is is particularly focused in the, the culture of human civilization, isn't it? Humans grew up and, and supposedly moved on mm. from Africa. Well, we were born. Weren't we we're, we're, were born we, on the continent. Didn't we come from the Great Rift Valley? Yeah, we yeah. absolutely did. Yeah. You know, I mean, um, Lucy, the famous Lucy, mm. that's from the Great Great Rift Valley. Yeah. We've now found some, I believe, some older mm. humanoids sort of specimens. So, yeah, we're all born really so ultimately. things that grow together go together. Do, do you, do you think... Maybe that's so it. Yeah, do yeah. you think Lucy, well, she would have been foraging coffee beans? I think it's quite probable. Coffee cherries. Yeah. I think that's quite probable, yes. Okay. I love the fact it's going to come full circle because it started there yeah. and I think it's going to finish there because we're going to come through now with global warming. We're going to find the species that are going to survive global warming there in the drier Yemeni places where there's thousands of species of coffee that we haven't discovered i mean there's there's probably 12 species that went around the world and but there's thousands over there in where they, where it actually came from and so i think that there'll be one there like, like they're looking uh, at the moment so coffee comes back home yeah because yeah, of, because cool. of global warming it's yeah. going to turn you know parts of colombia are literally closing down to mm. growing coffee mm. and it, it kind of moves doesn't it i mean the world will always continue it's us that's going to fall off it <laughs> so we've got we've got green beans that have been boiling water and i can feel a little bit kick a, a little kicky yeah i can get a little bit of a buzz from that it's really interesting let's say 1500 years ago okay i'll give you okay you're telling me it's a thousand years all right so how does it move on from there how does what's the history of coffee from that point well i think the, the key thing here is that um although we speculate about how old coffee is and we know you know obviously it's being used in ethiopia what we know about the history of coffee is the key moment is when coffee as it were starts to be imported into yemen into uh, arabia and the reason for that is that it's being used in these religious ceremonies as a kind of a psychoactive to keep people, particularly Sufi. Sufism, Sufism is a very mystic form of, of Islamism. And um, they used to use uh, a potion, which they would call kawa, to keep them awake uh, in order to perform their devotions at night and then still be able to sort of work during the day. So... There was a, this could be made of many different things, and it was often made of cat, the local sort of psychoactive drug. But there appears to be a shortage of cats, or some reason that they wanted to move away from cat. And we know that around the 1450s, coffee started being brought into Yemen and used for that purpose. And they would use particularly, actually, not so much just the, the beans, they were using the whole plant and the dried plant using it to make uh, what they called um, kisha, which is this drink with these dried cherry skins, and uh, you use that, and that's really where we start seeing people drinking coffee as coffee, and then from that, in about another 100 years or so, growing coffee. So the first coffee cultivation is in Yemen. Uh, that's where people are actually farming it. The Ethiopians have been gathering it wild, but this is now, let's actually grow this stuff, let's, because we're going to use it. And so that's where potentially it starts being used as a commodity and bought and sold. Because if you're farming it, you'd harvest it and then you'd say, well, I've got some extra. Do you want to buy it? Absolutely. In fact, what we, what we suspect is exactly that, that uh, probably those people who were doing the farming of it were financed by traders who were sort of trading around. Basically, if you think about the Red Sea and then the, the Arabian Ocean, the Arabian Sea and the, the, the Indian Ocean, the people who lived on those shores of that 
they would be uh, traders who would go from one place to another. They would take the coffee from Ethiopia or from Yemen. They would ship it round the Gulf and then they'd be picking up maybe spices or whatever coming back with those. So yeah, they're the guys who really create the original market for coffee. Online, on smart speakers and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. The Coffee Table with Lamazocco Espresso Machines, handmade in Florence since 1927. I've been looking at a lot of different uh, products that have migrated around the world, food products. You know, you've got tomatoes, you've got chilies, you've got uh, basil, you've got apples. You know, you've got so many different food commodities traveling the world over hundreds of years, 500, 600 years. Coffee is no exception. And it makes its way then either through Africa or through India and maybe up the spice routes uh, up into Eastern Europe and, and cross into Europe. Well, what, what's, what's then the journey that coffee takes after they start ha uh, harvesting it in Yemen? I was going to say before you, you were talking about the cat. I, I think it's interesting is that, that they, they, they um, stopped using the cat. I think it's because it made them sleepy. And you've got to remember, oh. this is going to come again full circle because the coffee farmers that can't make money selling coffee are going back to cat now. Yeah. And they, we're losing coffee farmers back to growing, gr dr growing drugs because mm. it's a hardier plant, it's less fussy, and, and it gives you a, a, a decent bit of money. The, the, the Sufis stopped using it because it would make you sleep. Whereas, of course, the coffee would keep you up all night. And so this was the... How they were using it. So, Sorry. so cat. Then you, it, they, they started using coffee because cat. Once used, after a certain amount of time, you just get knackered and have to. Yeah, fall asleep. you fall asleep. It's yeah. not what you want to keep you up all night. Oh, but what's interesting is the coffee farmers that we're losing today because they're not making money are going back to growing cat. Mm. And so that's another full circle. You know. Yeah, and I think those and are the that's um, something we've seen also even in sort of more other places. So you're talking about Colombia mm. and uh, Central America, of course, growing coca. Mm. You know, uh, that when that becomes more profitable, that's part of the whole problem that we have is that people stop growing coffee. They start growing uh, basically what we use as, as illegal drugs. Mm. So uh, you can't blame them. They're making more money on it. So it came, uh, you know, after going back to the question, once you've taken it from the, 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 the I think it was slaves, the Oromo slaves that took it across the Red Sea into the port of Mocha, and then it starts to, um, I think we, uh, there's a bit of a jump, isn't there? I think we, we started talking around 1000 and straight away, as soon as we start getting any kind of detail, it's about 1470. So there's quite a, quite a long two, two, three hundred years of them boiling beans and eating leaves before we've got to this point here. Um, once we get to the Sufis, um, there was the first documented, uh, yeah, the first documented person to talk about coffee is this 1470. So we, we fill that gap. Around about 1500, it starts arriving in places like Cairo, but in a different way. It starts being used by the students at the, at the Islamic University to stay awake all night. It's now not just religious, now people are seeing, they're, they're using it like pro-plus pills, they, they, they're using it for, you know, um, it's a stimulant. Yeah, like Red Bull. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so it's interesting that it's starting. It's exactly to... what students do today, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should know. <laughs> I think there's a there's a there's a, a key point here. A couple of key points, though. I mean, one is sort of like coffee becomes sort of religiously. It, it's a very interesting thing in terms of its situation within mm. the religion. Yeah, because within the Islamic religion, we know that you can't drink alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. So when coffee first comes on the scene, there's a lot of challenges. You know, are we actually allowed to drink this? Can we use this? And once it's established, I mean, they have various sort of weird trials where people try and ban coffee and mm. then they send it off to the, the, the great scholars. And the scholars always come back and say, well, look, this stuff isn't intoxicating. Mm. So once they've said that, that means that you can be a good Muslim 
and still go and meet people for coffee. And that's transformative, yeah, because you could never be a good Muslim and go meet people for alcohol. Mm. Now, so, every ban was very short. It was banned many, many, many times. And how quickly did they do a 180? Because people would flock the streets and, 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 and they'd have to do a 180 degree on it. Um, it was always, and even with the farmers, as with the drinkers, if you're not growing the coffee, you're, gro you're growing drugs. And if you're not drinking the coffee, you're drinking and smoking drugs. So it was always looked at, it's, it's, the, it's the lesser two evils really so coffee then not particularly a drug it's not frowned upon although sometimes um, people were a little bit suspicious of it perhaps either the church or, or um, you know in, in the Muslim tradition they would be a little wary of it but it was then put down quickly to say listen it's not a uh, a drug it's a stimulant it's okay to use um, so then it becomes culturally accepted and begins to move does it move with people does it move with trade why does coffee move I mean obviously it becomes a commodity they start selling it is that right yeah absolutely so I mean obviously a market develops for for coffee and what we see is coffee moves literally it goes up the Arabian Peninsula it gets into Egypt Egypt had the original sort of control of Yemen then Egypt lost its power in the region to the Ottomans, uh, the people who were based out of Turkey. So coffee reaches Turkey. But what becomes interesting is the further you send it away from the Yemen, the more the emphasis moves to the bean, away from the whole fruit. So in fact, you could say it's a, it's a kind of almost circular economy. The Yemenis are growing it. They keep the fruit. They turn it into, the, uh, into quiche. Uh, which is still the most popular form of, of coffee drinking in Yemen. But as it reaches somewhere like Turkey, you're just taking the beans. And that's when we start the first, you know, Arabians roasting it a little bit in a pan, that kind of thing. So we're moving more towards that. And by the time we get to Turkey, it's dark coffee. The other thing that we've got, which we haven't talked about, but Marco is, is, is a great uh, person to give us a, a line on, is coffee houses, yeah. right? Because the whole thing is, yes, as I say, if you can drink the coffee, then you can meet people in coffee houses. And increasingly, it's not the coffee that people are worried about. The rulers of these places are worried about people meeting each other in coffee houses and talking to each other, and they might not be saying what you want them to say. They might not like you as the big sultan. So a lot of the later sort of moments where we see coffee banned... It's actually trying to close down the coffee houses and stop people talking about it, you know, talking badly about their rulers. But each one was And each time. Each, yeah, yeah, it doesn't work because yeah. the people who are supposed to enforce it like their coffee and they like going to the coffee house. Mm. So it, it never But each really coffee sticks. house kind of was like one would attract architects, one would attract poets and one would be political. And it was the... They'd send their spies in to sit there and listen what was going on. And when they started talking about things they didn't like, then they started talking about um, cancel culture. So that was where cancel culture was invented. But it, did, it never stuck long. Wherever it got cancelled, it was very violently opposed mm. very quickly. And 180s were done immediately in, in every, in, you know, I think it's tried every, every 50 years someone tries to ban it somewhere. So coffee makes its way to Egypt via Yemen. Uh, it then, you know, the northern, northern Egypt ports would be onto the Mediterranean. You've already got the Adriatic which goes off fizzy up into Italy. You've got Venice, which would have been a huge trading port and, and, and for spices and, and for flavours. So, so Venetian culture should, must have adopted it to some degree. But like uh, spices, uh, it's protected. The spices, you know what happened with spices. Vanilla was kept for years. The problem with coffee itself, pollinating. So you only got to steal some 
and you're and you're done if you steal some vanilla you 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 need a special wasp to pollinate it took them years to work out in madagascar how to pollinate vanilla and so each of the spice islands was 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 you know uh, whether it was nutmeg or cinnamon or whatever it was it was really it was really protected so yeah it was stolen and it was taken out for different places but going back to it yes i, th- I think though it was then realized it's a vegetable it's a drink from a vegetable and 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 so it was the 180 was always done well it's you know it's not alcohol and plant-based how can it be bad you know they're beans so is this then sort of every 50 years or 100 years through a culture in some other country where people were suspicious of coffee it arrived in cafes it arrived in society they questioned it they tried to ban it or they did ban it and then it was a quick you call it 180 a a Mm. u-turn they had to go back and say actually coffee's just fine it's just a vegetable we boil it we drink it it stimulates us a bit but there's no other harm in it is that right yeah pretty much i mean i think what's interesting is uh you mentioned venice and you're right venice is the is the sort of first place in what what we would call europe western europe if you like that uh that gets uh coffee come into it exactly what you were saying traders bring it in turkish traders uh you'll like this marco the reason that we know that coffee was in venice in 1575 the first time is because uh some uh, turkish trader gets murdered and And during the investigation they find his coffee stuff so it's listed in his uh, the items that he has so that's that's the case and then the european thing is the same sort of thing but there's a, there's another issue around this it's sort of like they start selling coffee as um you you kind of sell it as a medicine so it goes to apothecaries it goes to like what we would call chemists yeah whereas uh what really becomes difficult is when it's going to be competing because uh, uh, if someone opens a coffee house it's competing with my pub so i'm going to look for lots of ways to try and ban that and a lot of the story of coffee in Europe is about how much power those different people, those different groups of people have, the tavern keepers versus the people who are, versus the apothecaries versus the people who want to actually be out there preparing and selling coffee. It's interesting how they, how they itemised them when they counted. They counted, these are coffee shops, this is gin palaces, these are taverns, the, you know, and each one was very specific. I think we're... Not that specific anymore. Everything I think is merging into something that can pay the rent in London. But now, so uh, the coffee makes its way into Venice. Uh, I've been lucky enough to visit Venice, and you can just see culture oozing out of every building. You understand what a coffee house in Venice must have been like back then, political, or you know, uh, talking about agriculture, talking about fishing, talking about spice trade. I mean, you know, it would have been an unbelievable melting pot of different cultures and people. So coffee would have driven so much of that discussion unbelievable but the Italians have been fairly intrepid explorers haven't they they've Mm. moved things around the world I mean you know they've been to the Americas you know they've been I mean I know that Marco Polo went over to the east you know they've always been quite exploratory in Mm. what they've done so do you think the Italians then picked picked up coffee put it in their pocket said right I'm going to take this somewhere I'm going to sell it somewhere else I mean was it the Italians that first started moving it a long way I think I think you got to remember the Italians started drinking it. I mean, it became something that we loved, and uh, the Italian colonies were um, uh, Ethiopia and the places where coffee grew. You know, your English colonies were Sri Lanka, Ceylon. You know, places where tea grew, and so we all became a part of what we could get our hands on. Um, Remember to say that I'm not a huge supporter of colonies. They've Mm. done a lot of damage, and I know that Eritrea and Ethiopia have struggled under the Italian uh, colonies. Mm. But but it's interesting because yes, the Italians did turn up into these African countries. Mm and perhaps steal or gently borrow some of these ingredients. But, but how, how was it the Italians influenced the trade of it? 
I think through Venice, we, you know, Venice was a great uh, port. It was uh, it's connected to the Silk Road. The spices were already coming. If you've got something going out, you want something coming back as well. And I think a big boost was, of course, when the Pope baptised it, because it was up and up until now. Remember, it was perceived as a sort of Muslim drink, as, as a, an infidel drink. It wasn't a Catholic drink. And so they, they had to religiously back it. They had to make it into something that Christians could drink and make it uh, and purify it. So they back like, the, the Pope, below Clementine the five, six, seven, eight. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm counting my Roman numerals there. Yeah, and so he made it Christian. And I think, I think that was a big boost of how they could, because straight after that, it goes to America and it goes, it starts to really get around the world. I'm not sure the Italians were responsible for sending it all around the world. I think people were picking at it like piranhas. Yeah. And it was going off into all directions. You Jonathan, know. the Italians, did they move it? Who moved it? The French, the Spanish? Who, who started really Dutch. shipping it? Well, uh, I just want to say that Marco's account is beautifully Italian and completely rubbish. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> I mean, so let's let let let's start. Yeah, the Italians, as I said, that's the first. You know, it's one of the first entry points into Europe. That's true. Venice is, but actually, interesting your description of the Venetian coffee shop because I was thinking that's almost like the Brexit coffee shop. What you were talking about there, and actually, in a way, that that's important because when we talk about rules. Right, the place that had the 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 loosest rules was uh, Britain at that time. So actually, the first coffee house in Europe, first coffee house to sell coffee and serve it, is um, in London. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of myth about all of this stuff, but the first one that we can actually say definitely was there, 1652. Uh, stall opens. Uh, by St Michael's Church in Cornhill, just opposite where now the Bank of England is. And this is the first time that you can do this. And the reason is because basically people, the, the kind of the innkeepers in, in um, London are not as powerful. They try and stop it. They try and stop it by saying, oh, coffee, it's very dangerous for you. There's that wonderful bit where they do the, the women's petition against coffee, which we're pretty sure was got up by the, um, by the brewers because it actually suggests that um, coffee gives you brewer's droop rather than beer, which is uh, seemingly un- improbable. And we know that actually, in a way, therefore, that's the first, you know, we're the first people. What, who's taking it round? Who's taking it round is, the, is actually refugees from the Ottoman Empire. It's usually the Christians from Eastern Europe, areas controlled by the Ottomans. So the guy who brings in coffee to London, a guy called Pascarose. Yeah, Pascarose came from Smyrna. Uh, so from this sort of, you know, these ports, an Ottoman port. But he's a Christian. And so many of these people are. So the same thing, you know, if you look in Vienna, if you look in um, all of the... And they're always called Armenians, but by Armenian they mean basically Christian from the Ottomans. So it's it's travelling east to west, isn't it? It's gently moving. It's gently moving east to west, but it's moving, as we say, in two different ways. As a commodity, yeah, it's moving that nice gentle way, 1575, the first time in, in Venice, but probably not until about 1630 in the UK but you know that's a that's a very different thing Venice wasn't actually I mean we we know Italy as Italy now it's one big country but originally Venice was its own space wasn't it Venice would have been Venice and you know it, it's it's an island in, in the sea so it wasn't really Italian as we knew it it would have been Venetian right there was kings and queens in Italy in, in, in these days I mean before 
I think before it's even got to to London, I think it was already the British East India Company uh, are moving it to India. It's gone to different countries um, before it even gets. I've got here 1645 Cafe Florian in in St Mark's Square, yeah. which is before. Rubbish. That's the truth. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Um, I'll explain. I found to you two dates. Yeah. So I found two dates for Cafe Florian. One is 1645, and another one is 1683. But they're both wrong because it's 1720 that Cafe Florian opens. You got three different dates here right yeah. 1645 is when we know that coffee beans could be bought in apothecaries in venice right. okay that's very different from 1683 mm. when we think there was the first coffee house that you might get served a coffee in venice and what about oxford now that i thought there was a coffee shop in oxford before london yeah oxford is a it, it's very dubious so Oxford, there's supposed to be this uh, coffee shop established by somebody called Jacob the Jew. But basically what we really, what do we know about this is nothing. We know this only from a, a memoir that's written 70 years later by somebody who's at sort um. of the end of his life. And we think, or certainly I'm going to say I think, that the truth of the matter is this is probably somebody who served coffee in his rooms in Oxford rather than actually sort of right. selling coffee in the way that we do. That's why the Pasqua Rose thing stands up, because we know damn well that he was in the trade. We know that he was but he was selling, he would serve you coffee and he would charge you for it. So that's why I, I will always go with the first coffee house that we can prove being, you know, triumph for London. Online, on smart speakers and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. The Coffee Table with Lamazocco Espresso Machines, handmade in Florence since 1927. I'm interested because, OK, we've got Venice and London. London is interesting, isn't it? You know, sort of 500 years ago, the British Empire is, is, is growing slowly. But, but what about the Parisians? I mean, the French is a powerful nation. I know the Spanish are too, but Paris certainly must have taken coffee and turned it into something, surely. Quite soon after. I mean, if you, you know, we're talking 1650s in London, and it was sort of 1670s Marseille, uh, and it starts to move, you know, Amsterdam, The Hague, Marseille, and then I think 1671, I got first Parisian coffee shop for a time is that true yeah I'll, I'll give you that you give one, that one. Yeah. I think it's out of your the, book you, yeah you probably did <laughs> listen I'll give you that one and I'm going to give you the great Italian moment which is 1686 go on why don't you talk about 1686 1686 well this is the cafe preoccupo preoccupe the start of the cafe format and this is the the first grand cafe yeah do you um, know who, was, who the owner was no it's the name Francesco Procopio okay that's Siciliano. Is it Sicilian? Yeah. So, I thought you'd have this but what, guy. what is this place? What are you telling me? You're, you're telling me, this is, is this a coffee shop? Or what is it you're saying? It's kind of a, the, the blueprint it's, for all the grand cafes yeah, that have exactly. been opened around the world. You oh. know, it was the sort of that first Italian over-the-top kind of cafe. Uh, we jumped a lot of stuff before we got there. Do, do you think the we were on the Parisian coffee shop here at the beginning? Mm -hmm. Now, what we the, what, what I'm interested in is how they were making the coffee all the way through. I mean, all the way. Yeah, was uh, it all green beans? Was this no. was it all green beans up until this point? When you see, you know, they've been roasting coffee I mean, way back in in uh, Ethiopian times and literally just spooning it around a saucepan, you know, until oh. until it's until it's a sort of clay pot re or relatively yeah. thin, not 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 like we do it today. But you've got to remember now at this point that they're, that they're drinking something called a, a jus de chaussette, the sock juice. 
in France, and they're literally putting coffee in a sock. I mean, it's a big tea bag at this point. <laughs> We're not talking about. Hang on, Mark. I'm sorry. Sorry. Coffee in a in a sock. What do you mean, like a Nike sock and, and a couple of coffee beans in it? What are you talking about? Yeah, Nike Nike sock is thicker than an Adidas sock. So we see the Nike sock is like a Chemex, and the uh, Adidas sock is more like a, a V60. But well, yeah, was it a cloth? It, was it a cloth bag full of beans? Literally, literally. Yeah, right. but it was called Jus de Chaussette, sock juice. You know, because the sock. I mean, this is the the point is that originally coffee. Uh, when you're preparing it. So like we said, Turkish coffee is the first yeah. sort of firm of, of, of coffee that sort of, you know, but you boil it directly. You just boil the difference between what we had, the green beans boiled with the coffee, yeah. and the difference between what they're doing is just you're boiling now the roasted beans or the ground, ro- you know, roasted and ground beans with mm. direct with the coffee, whereas the filtering... That's what this sock comes in for. Okay, well, for just... the first time, we're keeping the filter, we're keeping the coffee out of the drink. Well, no, hang on a second, Marco, because you've just pulled something out of your freezer, which looks like a tea <coughs> strainer, but in a, a bag tea strainer. Tell me what you've got. So this is um, basically the problem we have with any cloth, when we use cloth, is it stinks after a while. Once you've used it two or three times, um, you can't get rid of that funny taste. You know, as it sort of dries again, it gets a mildewy flavour. So to kill that flavour, you have to literally use it, wash it, and then keep it in the freezer. Otherwise, you're always going to get this awful flavour, which I've got in my siphon filter. So let me just say, I'm I'm holding almost like a very small tennis racket. And if you think of it, uh, almost like, like a table tennis bat, I suppose, but it's made of cloth. Um, and I suppose if you turned it each way, you could put the coffee into it. And, and what do you then do? Do you just pour hot water over the crushed beans or would it have been whole beans? Yeah, no, we'd, we'd, we'd crush them in a pestle and mortar. And uh, of course, grinders, we didn't have grinders in these days. And it was literally just passed through the end of a sock, literally. And there's nothing that, nothing that posh about it. I don't even think this was expensive. I think this was a pound. And you, you can use this as, as several times until it changes colour, then you throw it in the bin. Now, but, but Marco, the problem with this is we're just about to make uh, sock juice trendy again mm. with this kind of... I mean, you'd probably see this in a very trendy coffee house in London now or Sydney, perhaps. It's a, it's a very, very respected way of making coffee. Oh. I mean, don't underestimate this. People aren't doing this. It's, it's faffy. It's, it's, a, it's yeah, a lot of yeah, faff. I mean, the, the sock is also very traditional in um, Asia in sort of uh, Southeast Asian oh, yeah. coffee, isn't it? Yeah, you oh, see that brewed a lot. And, uh, and you could connect back to your Rode de Chaussée or whatever you call mm, it. Jus mm. de Chaussée, sorry. Jus because it's the same thing. If you go to like Singapore or if you go to those places, you'll see, you know, the sock coffee. You know, you throw it in the sock and you brew it through the sock. So I'm, I'm looking... Am I yeah. looking forward to this? I'm not sure. Well, um, th- this is just a filter coffee. This is just a filter coffee in the thing. We, we can but, but sorry, Marco, so just a filter coffee. You're saying that the, are, are the coffee beans roasted and are they crushed? Is that how it's made? Absolutely normal. Absolutely normal filter coffee that we'd have today. Just just uh, roasted ground coffee into a filter and water pour, poured through. Nothing like right. it's a very It gives a very, very, very and good flavour. Like that, is that 400 years ago or 300 years ago? How long We're ago? We're talking 1650s. Okay, so, so nearly 400 years. And a lot's gone on in that time. You know, there's a lot, mo- lot of movement going on in this, in this 100 years. Um, we, we get to, it was so much, it was so bad that in 1674, women actually petitioned for, for um, coffee shops, uh, against coffee shops, because they were losing their men. To, it was almost like a golf club. They were losing their men and they were, they were coming back um, unable to perform, apparently. And so women were trying to petition to close them down. And again, a year later, King Charles II bans coffee 
again for people talking and I think he had a lot of spies going around coffee houses didn't he King Charles II well, and, 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 and listening to what was being said about and when him. they didn't like what was being said they mm -hmm. would try and petition but again these things got overturned very very quickly well the, I mean the uh, the King Charles thing was, was funny in a way because King Charles his own supporters because remember King Charles II is uh, the, the restored king yeah. So when we were talking about Pasqua Rosa opening his coffee house, the reason that the regulations were weak that enabled that to happen was because it's the time of the Civil War. Uh, once um, Charles II is back on the throne, he's sort of, yeah, I don't want people talking about me in coffee houses. But of course, his own supporters during the time of the Civil War had sat around plotting in coffee houses. So mm. there was a bit of a problem when his own sort of cabinet, in effect, turned around to him and said, well, you know, we were we were doing just that in Oxford when we were plotting getting you back. You can't really stop us now, you know. So there's that. I don't think the women's petition is actually written by a load of women. I really think it's written by people uh, for up by brewers. Okay. Getting them up to it. Because, you know, um, how can I put this, Marco? Have a think about your performance in life after you've been in the pub and after you've been in the coffee shop. Mm. Yeah, I can imagine. It's the opposite. I would say. Mm. <laughs> so, so coffee has been around, you know, uh, uh, now that sock juice has come into fashion from Paris, it's nearly 400 years ago. You know, it's taken probably 1,600 years to get to that point, mm. to be put into a sock and have water drained through it. But it's obviously now a fabulous product, or at least a product back then that was well-respected and consumed by uh, lots of people in society. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, I think one of the, one of the things to say, and we, 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 you were talking about France... Yeah, France is uh, exactly the place where coffee really takes off in the 18th century. Mm. And it spreads from those wonderful grand cafes like the Procop all the way down to much more sort of local cafes down, you know, your neighbourhood cafe in, in um, Paris. And the same thing, the coffee shop, you know, the place that people are going to smoke, to drink and to drink coffee all day long. So... And that is what actually leads the French to be one of the leading... The French and the Dutch are the two people who really take coffee around the world. And it's the French who move the coffee out into the Caribbean uh, in particular and sort of start, you know, making use of slave labour and so forth. The French there, the Dutch over in East in, in what we call the East Indies, Java, Sumatra, etc. So those are the two big shifts in, in coffee growing around the world. Fabulous. Well, this is The Coffee Table on Food FM. My name is Arthur Potts Dawson. We've had Jonathan and Marco join us for the past 40 minutes to talk about the history of coffee. It's fascinating. You know, I think we've come nearly 1,200 years, but we've got 400 years to cover. So please join us next time on our coffee table um, to talk about the history of coffee and um, where we're going with it, flavours, uh, styles, cultural and community connection to coffee and uh, how it gets to be around the world. Uh, so thank you for joining us. Tune in next time. To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com. The Coffee Table with Lamazocco Espresso Machines, handmade in Florence since 1927.